Hi, I'm Mike Townsend, U.S. Career Director at Project 202, and I'm here with Vice President of Technology, Paul Tidwell. Hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. It's good to have you on the show. So today, let's talk about the tech landscape in Austin and Project 202's commitment to our tech community in Central Texas. So you and I both attended a conference not too long ago. It was the Front Porch Conference, actually the first time uh, to have that here in Austin is usually in Dallas. Tell me a little bit about that. Bringing a successful conference from the Dallas area down to Austin seemed like a logical uh, extension of the Project 202 footprint, being both in Dallas and Austin. So we hosted a uh, event here at the Alamo Drafthouse on South Lamar, uh, primarily focused around UX and front-end development. So several speakers, some local, some traveled uh, just for the purposes of the conference, uh, full day, preceded by a, uh, a workshop that was put on the day before the conference itself that was targeted towards UX designers learning more about responsive design that was uh, delivered over at Dev Bootcamp. It was uh, all in all a really successful event, lots of community outreach and uh, some really compelling topics discussed. You mentioned a workshop. What did that workshop entail? Yeah, it was uh, actual work time, uh, sitting down at terminals, talking about proper approach to responsive design, and then actually some kind of hands-on hands -on practice for uh, fairly entry level but it was around the idea of getting UX designers thinking about how developers go about actually implementing, uh, actually implementing responsive designs in the web so that they have a better grasp of semantics and the environment that the developers are dealing with when they're going about executing on these designs. Yeah, I know that here when we're uh, working on responsive designs, we're trying to get developers and designers to be side by side as much as possible um, so that those designs are, are being done kind of in conjunction with the development process. Tell me a little bit about that. Was that something that they covered in that workshop? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole theme of the workshop, right? To make sure that designers understand what the purpose of the grid system is and, and why it actually exists so that it helps them make better decisions during the design phase and kind of step into the shoes of the developer so that the developer is not left trying to interpret too much because we all know what happens when developers try to uh, do their own UX. Right, or uh, UX people try to do their own development. <laughs> right, so it's uh, about finding a kind of happy, happy uh, in-between there for collaboration. Cool, so it sounds like the workshop was valuable. Um, what were some of the other talks that, during that conference? Sure, yeah, so they covered a lot. Um, there were some around uh, enterprise design patterns. There was some about testing uh, front-end code, uh, test automation for JavaScript, which is really exciting and becoming more and more commonplace, uh, with, which is a phenomenal outcome. Uh, we talked a little about web components, which is uh, an emerging direction for the way applications are being built in the uh, in the browser. Um, there was also a really interesting one on accessibility uh, that was really kind of primarily driven around not just your typical kind of 508 compliance and WCAG uh, accessibility considerations, but being driven by really clean semantics. So smaller code footprint for the web page, leveraging the way the the browser kind of inherently wants to handle markup uh, to a really positive outcome that works best for people with disabilities browsing your web page. So, you know, kind of be a more responsible developer and the side effect is almost that you get uh, higher accessibility. So Paul, do you think we're gonna do another Front Porch Conference? Do you think that's gonna happen again next year? Yeah, I would love to see that happen again. And I think there's, there's certainly an appetite. We had a great turnout um, and I think we could certainly uh, expand on that next year with a uh, perhaps even a longer format. But um, yeah, for getting a, you know a day out of the office in a great venue with some great food and learning an awful lot, you know, it was an overwhelming success. So we've talked about potentially doing it in the fall next year, so we could also ensure that uh, 
you know, students who are here studying at any one of our great universities uh, are in town in time for the conference as well. And also uh, maybe avoiding some of the, the brutal heat of the uh, middle of Texas summer. Yeah, I'm sure everybody would appreciate that. Let's do it in a time where the, the wind is blowing and the temperature doesn't feel like the surface of the sun. Although there's something to be said for sitting in a dark air conditioned room all day in a 105 degree day. It is a nice vacation from the heat. So we had a lot to do with this conference. One of our developers actually uh, helped us put us on, put it on. That's correct. Uh, Chris Williams has been a key founding member of the Front Porch Conference in Dallas. And so he's the one who effectively made a road show out of it and brought it to Austin. I'm really glad he did because it, it was a fun turnout. We met a lot of great people there. And we were actually able to sponsor it, right? That's correct. Uh, yeah, to facilitate bringing it to Austin, we underwrote the event um, and used it as an opportunity to reach out uh, you know, to our, our network of developers, our friends in the community, and, uh, you know, kind of provide an environment for people to get together and learn something. I was following the tweets and there were lots of great things said about the quality of the conference. And I look forward to, you know, us doing more conferences like that. This is a nice, you know, entry into doing these more often, I hope. Yeah. You know, we have a really strong commitment to the development community. Uh, we want to be as active as we can, uh, not only so that we're able to continue to, to attract and retain really good talent here at project Two, but also to kind of help buoy the community at large. So, you know, we're, we're always looking for really great talent and the, the way that we approach building solutions by having integrated UX and, you know, kind of leading into that with, with, um, research helps us attract developers who have a deep interest in seeing their applications actually in the hands of users because we're entering the development process knowing a lot about what the end user needs, which features are really important. So, you know, we have a higher than average success rate with not only delivering to market, but delivering the right features to market so that end users are actually getting the, the maximum benefit and you're not writing a bunch of features that end up kind of gathering dust on the shelf. Right. On the subject of conferences, what are some other conferences that you've been to recently that have kind of made an impression on you? We, you know, we strive for continuing education, so we're not always waiting for a conference to learn about the, the new and exciting thing. But uh, there were some kind of interesting things that were great validation for the way that we're approaching software development coming out of the Agile 2016 conference uh, recently in Atlanta. They, uh, I think for the first time ever, really talked about integrated Agile teams that were composed of not only developers and QA and product owners, but now UX. So it was the first time you know, while UX has been acknowledged as a key component of a successful development project, this was the first time the Agile community at large is talking about the UX resources being kind of a core member of the team and working iteratively with the development team in QA as opposed to kind of the traditional big design up front. So, um, you you know, the ultimate yield there is happier product owners, happier designers who see their designs actually making it to the end intact as opposed to you know, having that, that handoff that has traditionally been there. So that's, that's pretty exciting. I mean, there's a lot of great trends around, um, uh, out of the same conference, they were exposing some of the other techniques that we do like, uh, affinity diagramming and, um, you know, bet just trying to better understand user workflows. So some of the, the key offerings that our, uh, experience strategy and insight team and our UX team leverage to, to develop these really compelling user experiences. Yeah. I think it's great to blaze the trail. Sometimes at other times you need that validation that you're doing things the right way and that it's catching on and, and, you know, other, uh, specialists or professionals are, you know, picking up on, you know, those types of trends. You know, it was really interesting to see something that we've been doing for three or four years, make its first kind of appearance at a, a really massive conference and, and 
to a lot of people, it felt really shocking and revolutionary. Whereas for us, it does serve as kind of a data point for validation saying, you know, when you're the only one doing it, there's nobody really agreeing except for the people who are seeing the results. So now seeing the the larger community kind of independently arrive at this conclusion is, is pretty exciting and doesn't feel the least bit threatening. It just makes it feel like it's going to be easier to, to continue to lead that trail, except now have lots of public data points around the credibility of such an approach. One of the other things they mentioned there was uh, user journey maps and a better understanding of the holistic user voyage through uh, through an application, which was also exciting. So, um, you know, a lot of these des- development teams don't have the benefit of working with UX professionals. And it was interesting to see also, um, you know, talking about affinity mapping, the idea that you gather all of these ideas together and then you coalesce them into themes and they just kind of did this very hand wavy thing around how that actually happens. And that's where we see a lot of, uh, a lot of the magic take place. And for us, that's a lot of experience and dedicated professionals who have spent a lot of time learning that technique. So I, I think it perhaps was a little bit trivialized and I think probably left a lot of head spinning about how you actually do that because showing it as an animation on a PowerPoint slides, one thing, but seeing the way actual researchers take a bunch of inputs and then manage to coalesce those into themes and ideas that become actionable, that become epics or, or hypotheses to go and test in a solution. You know, that's, that's something that we do all the time and have helped large organizations get a better handle on. So it's again, seeing these things kind of come out into the mainstream are exciting, but knowing that we still have a a pretty substantial edge in how you actually go about and, and do that because we all know the devil's in the details. Yeah. It's one thing I've noticed about tech conferences, UX conferences, they, they are very, focused on um, certain portions of what we do, but I haven't yet come across a, uh, a conference that has the full process, you know, the things that we're looking at. And it would be neat to see a group of researchers mixed in with a group of developers, mixed in with a group of UX designers and even agile methodology, you know, people, program management of that sort, all in the room talking about how do we get this stuff done? Right. That's, I think that's where things, I think a lot of companies are still struggling to understand because it's easy to talk about it and say that theoretically this is a great approach and it obviously makes a lot of, uh, of sense to have these professionals engaging directly with one another as, as a team, you know, delivering on the same sprint cadence or, or whatever, mind you, or part of the same Kanban. But what's really kind of missed is the, uh, the applied side of that. So I think a lot of companies are now probably realizing these things, but are they're going to struggle in actually getting to the the delivery side of it? Like, how do we actually go in and act on that? How do we get the right people in the room? How do we, how do we collaborate together to, li- to deliver these results? It takes a little bit more than a talk at a conference, right? So we have a lot of practice doing this and that's something where, you know, we also see a lot of our clients benefiting from kind of a halo effect around the work we're doing by, by seeing that in action, as opposed to just reading about it and philosophically or academically understanding it because there's there's kind of an applied science to it right or even going to a day workshop about it you're not going to pick it right all those intricacies up so that's where you know a, a little bit of practice and and having spent a lot of time thinking about the methodology behind it and and the semantics of, of going out and doing it on a big project uh you know we've we've been down that path an awful lot and now there's incredibly low risk around us executing on those types of things whereas you know it may sound great, but how do you actually go out and do it is a, is a different story. So I think a lot of companies still have a long way to go, but it's, it's nice to see some validation around 
at least the theory, and then know that we still have a really strong head start Absolutely. there. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that the, um, you know, the, the community here in Austin, it's, uh, this was good for that community and also that the, the community is growing and I've been seeing a big change in the tech landscape as a whole in Austin. And has that been something you've been keeping a pulse on? Yeah. I mean, you know, Austin's very startup friendly, so we don't have any trouble as a community staying kind of on the leading edge, uh, you know, new frameworks, new technologies like Polymer and React are, are, you know, pretty easy to find here. You've got organizations who are very, um, progressive around continuous delivery and continuous deployment and newer languages like go, um, architectural patterns like microservices. Those are, you know, those are uh, pretty common in Austin because we're kind of an early adopter, uh, startup community, even in the more established, uh, established companies. So that's a pretty exciting environment to be in. Um, it also typically produces a type of talent that's very kind of uh, probably more aligned with what you'd find on the West coast. So, uh, it keeps companies really progressive. It keeps them thinking about new and better ways to deliver software solutions to the market. And here in Austin, Project 202, at least the Austin office is pretty well established now. Tell me a little about what your team is doing currently and, and what the focus has been, you know, over the past year or so. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've been here for almost four years now and, you know, kind of built the team that we have now. And now we're about 10 people delivering probably about 70% line of business solutions and back office solutions for businesses and maybe 30% com consumer facing products. Um, you know, one of the things that companies come to us for is as they move to new UX patterns and they build modern web applications, they leverage our existing talent for, you know, bootstrapping these new projects and new frameworks so that they make the right decisions up front. So they don't, you know, have to learn kind of the hard knocks on their own. So they're leveraging our experience that, you know, we, have started, you know, net new angular projects four or five times a year. And you know, they get that collective knowledge as they're, as they're going down that path for the first time. So right now, my team, uh, aside from working on the, uh, internal <laughs> project 202 website from time to time is delivering an omni-channel solution for, a, um, a major like fortune 50 hardware company, um, a hardware retailer, uh, that involves, you know, native iOS development, uh, four angular apps, a Node.js service tier that interops with a bunch of enterprise services all to deliver a, um, kind of exciting, compelling multi-channel experience for customers who are interested in, uh, redesigning their kitchen, redesigning their bathroom, and is intended to be a, a way to kind of grease the skids and help people get started on these projects after, you know, getting their getting the creative juices flowing after watching HDTV and not really knowing where to go next. So we're, you know, bringing technology to the table to help people in that respect. Uh, we're also starting to work with, uh, a pretty house, big household name around, um, power and uh, infrastructure. That's kind of a global organization and help them build out their data visualization tool that is for surfacing, uh, industrial internet gathered data. So they have sensors on turbines, sensors on windmills, sensors on trains, um, oil refineries, pretty much everything out there. And they're gathering all this data and surfacing it through a new platform that they've been developing over the last few years. And so we're helping them on the data visualization side, building a compelling application for all their internal users and kind of as a pass through for their customers. So those are just kind of a couple of the big exciting projects we're working on right now. Yeah, those sound amazing. Um, I know we talk a lot about us being a technology agnostic, a device agnostic development team. Uh, because a lot of these uh, solutions that people are needing are based on the platform they're already coming to us with, or we're starting from scratch. What does it mean to be 
technology agnostic? Sure. I mean, it's kind of a loaded term because I think some people's knee jerk reaction might mean that that, uh, kind of means lack of specialization, but what it really means is, is being complementary. So there's a lot of paradigms in development that are not language specific. There's a lot of good architectural and design patterns that aren't necessarily predicated in, in a particular language. So, uh, you know, good principles kind of transcend languages themselves and, we effectively hire for, you know, a, a compulsion to learn lots of languages. So we have a lot of developers who are pretty comfortable working in a couple of environments um, with different IDEs and and different, you know, kind of language semantics and frameworks, but still follow those good practices. As a services company, it's like you mentioned, kind of essential to be complementary to existing platforms. Um, fortunately, in the realm of web services development, microservices, service-oriented architectures, the data on the wire is usually uh, kind of a, a common thread that is not particular to any given language. So you have things like JSON and XML on the wire, and those services don't really care who's reading or who's posting those things, you know, kind of onto the network. They're just consuming those those elements and, and adhering them together. So we go into, into our customer sites and talk to them about their target architecture, where they want to be in five years, what their current landscape looks like, and then have really kind of careful conversations around what the right technologies for the solution at hand are to help them move incrementally towards their, their idealized future, but also being sensitive to the existing talent they have in house or what they think is, you know, complementary to the way that they're already doing things. So the attempt is to not start from scratch or radically reinvent things, but find something that's along that continuum towards their, their eventual target space. But also, you know, we really help people, make those first steps with confidence. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times they're, they're starting to go down a new pathway. I want to make sure that they're making smart decisions up front because those things really quickly become ingrained, good habits or bad. And so we provide a bit of a, an extra value in, in bringing a lot of experience around choosing the right frameworks or particular experience with say, uh, uh you know, client side MVC framework and they're trying to decide between Angular or Ember or React or these these presentation technologies, so we can have experiences uh, and conversations that are grounded in things that we've actually done, as opposed to completely an academic conversation based on what we've read on the web. So, you know, it's about not only bringing value in flinging code like any other software services company, but also bringing value in the careful consideration of how technology is a, an enabler for business and how it fits into your IT landscape. Very cool. So uh, the office has been doing a lot of community work lately. Um, you know, all the offices do, but Austin's been specifically focused on one particular kind of uh, group of people that are trying to do right by the community. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So we've had a kind of cross practice volunteer team working with a, an organization called Spirit Reigns. Um, it's a former Dell executive, uh, has some land outside of Austin and some therapy horses. So a lot of these horses come from kind of interesting backgrounds and need a little bit of therapy themselves. And then the, the treatment facility itself is focused around children who traditional therapy is not really worked for. So they, you know, they take care of a horse and basically become responsible for that horse and they build a bond, uh, uh with the horse and it kind of sets them outside of the context of traditional therapy and a traditional therapy environment. So it allows them to, um, you know, to kind of begin to heal in a really different way. And it's been, been very successful. They're doing it with very limited resources and, uh, you know, it's, it's an organization we really believe in. So we've been helping them 
with uh, re-envisioning their web presence, thinking about how they do online fundraising, and then also kind of working with them on some IT infrastructure challenges as well. An organization like this probably has a lot of problems. What were some of the, the biggest ones you heard that they're having right now? Well, being a technologist, some of the conversations I was in were around kind of a hodgepodge of platforms. And then, you know, they also had some really basic infrastructure challenges. So they're out in the country and they're getting um, their internet service off of kind of a line of sight um, uh, microwave internet service. So basically it's coming from a tower that they have line of sight to. And so, you know, they have a, a main building, a barn and a couple of outbuildings and, you know, not a lot of kind of traditional office infrastructure. So, so they're using a lot of consumer grade, uh, Wi-Fi and things like that. So, you know, we've helped them strategize around how to get better service out of their voice over IP phone system and how to get more devices on the network. And then, you know, we're talking about how they can, you know, use an iPad out in the field between the buildings and the barn and things like that. So kind of some basic infrastructure stuff that needs to be done on a, on a pretty tight budget. Um, and some, some certain some challenges that are getting in the way of them being able to provide service. You really want your, your IT to be transparent to, to all of that, right? And focus on the, the good things that these people are doing. Right. So what's step two to that? I and mean, we give them the ability to connect to all these things that they need to connect to. But, um, you know, what, what's, what else can we do for them? You know, the other thing is their, uh, their CMS platform is, is not necessarily put together in the best way. Um, and also their, their website's not seeing a high rate of conversion or a lot of traffic. So we're also going to try to help them out with some SEO initiatives, uh, perhaps rebuild their, their website kind of ground up, make it a little easier for them to provide rich content and also organize that content a little better. So kind of, a you know, the full suite of offerings from, <laughs> from project 202, uh, in an attempt to really help them channel some, uh, some more, um, some more resources through their fundraising. Yeah. Donations is a big part of their business model, I'm sure. So getting that donate button to work correctly and right. impelling people to click on it. Yep. Yep. So it's, you know, the, uh, importance and power of a conversion there can actually change someone's life or a horse's life. There you go. Very cool. Well, Paul, thank you so much for, uh, talking with us today. And I hope the next time we talk, we can, you know, talk a little bit more about the next front porch conference or whatever else is going on in the, in the tech world here in Austin. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,